Welcome back to Oral Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Do you remember this song? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? And then, please won't you be my neighbor? Maybe you'll remember that as the theme song for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which is one of the longest-running television shows in North America. began in Canada in 1962, moved back to the United States in 1968. And the last episode was aired, I think, in 2001. And so Mr. Rogers has become synonymous with uh, children's programming, although it was aimed at kids ages two to five. It uh, said it was marketed as appropriate for viewers of all ages. And it was just been one of a bunch of different children's shows. Me, uh, I'm obviously a Captain Kangaroo man, him and Mr. Green Jeans. But the generation before me, Howdy Doody, which I only know about because occasionally it shows up on reruns. But at the same time that Mr. Rogers was on, Sesame Street was a very prominent children's program. And for my niece, uh, Kelly, her favorite children's program was Dora the Explorer. She had all the t-shirts and paraphernalia that went along with Dora the Explorer. But the key to the success of children's programming is its ability to connect with children on the level of friendship. And so for Mr. Rogers, his theme song lays it all out, um, that we're neighbors. And this sense that kids have for relationship with mom and dad, and then when they move out into uh, little tots or uh, early childhood development, pre-K, grade school, a huge part of our education is rooted in socialization how it is we learn to be neighbors and friends to one another. And so today in Oro Valley Catholic, we're going to talk about the nature of friendship and uh, how it connects with the gospel this weekend and love of neighbor. And to kind of put it into its proper context, um, I would like to take us back to one of the most seminal commandments uh, to all of humanity, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And it says, the great commandment in, in the Bible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole being, with your whole strength. Take to heart these words which I command you today. Keep repeating them to your children. Recite them when you're at home and when you're away, and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on your arm as a sign, and let them be as a pendant for your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How fundamental the love of God is. And remember, the human person is made in the image and likeness of God, according to the book of Genesis. So love of neighbor is the way that we carry out love of God, in addition to all those things that we owe God in terms of worship and attention to the grace of the given law. But Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, talks about love of neighbor. Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I 
am the Lord. And so the very heart of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's commandment to his people is to learn how to love God and love your neighbor. This is what Jesus says so prominently in the Gospels. And the Gospel today follows on the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, the Sermon on the Mount, or on the plain as Luke is sometimes called, uh, as to Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, but in both versions, Matthew and Luke, it takes place on a mountainside. Do you remember the part from last week where Jesus says, um, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for you will be filled. And then he turns around in the woes and he says, woe to you are full for you, uh, you will be sent away empty, depending on the translation of the scriptures that we read. But at the heart of that is the need for friendship. So what happens when you say, I have enough friends and I can hold everybody else at a distance. I can hold other people in contempt. You know, I don't think Mr. Rogers would be happy with that because it sounds like you're full and satisfied and this is not going to work out. And so the gospel today, which I will get to in the third section of this podcast, begins this way. And it starts the same way Deuteronomy does, right? Hear, O Israel, so listen to the gospel from Luke for this weekend. To you who hear, I say, love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. You know, the thing that our Lord brings to the law of Israel is love of enemies. Um, Plato, Aristotle, Moses did not command to love enemies. But Jesus' commandment in the gospel today is to love as God loves, who makes it rain and the sun shine and the good and the bad alike. God gives us time to work all of our stuff out in this great human project of friendship. And so we're going to talk today about how the Greeks and the Romans would have thought of friendship, starting with what Aristotle had to offer about a description of friendship. And then what the gospel brings to the understanding of friendship, and then what it is we should do about it if we want to be a good friend and understand what a good friend is. So stay tuned for more from Oral Valley Catholic. So Mr. Rogers called to be a neighbor, to be a friend. How can you be a friend with God? I mean, God is the creator. God isn't like us. God has always been. God can't be hurt. Uh, you can betray God, but it doesn't make God any one less than God is. But Jesus describes the human relationship with God as a relationship of divine friendship. And here's what he says in John chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. The mystery of the incarnation, that in Christ becoming man, he's made known to us a good, common between us and God. Because at the heart of friendship, whatever friends you have, there is some common good. And this is at the heart of our human needs, why children's programming, 
that talks to kids about friendship or being a neighbor is so potent, so powerful, because from the earliest age and our first awareness, our need for one another is present. Friendship, love of mother, love of father, love of brothers and sisters, and all those pesky kids at school. And so let's turn to how the, the pagans, the Greek philosophers, thought about friendship and the fundamental taxes, the Nicomachean ethics, where, G, where Aristotle talks about friendship. And he said that there are three different kinds of friendships, or at least three kinds of friendships that he talks about that share a common good. And this common good is the essence of friendship. And so those three kinds of friendships are friendships based on pleasure, friendships based on utility or usefulness, and friendships based on character, virtue, excellence, and the good. Um, how Aristotle thought about the possibility of God or Plato, you couldn't imagine the basis for friendship uh, between uh, the Greek and Latin conception of the divine uh, and the Judeo-Christian conception of the divine. Of the divine. So the kind of friendship that Christianity talks about with God and neighbor is something on top of this very human experience of friendship that Aristotle talks about. But the best reason to pay attention to Aristotle and Plato and all the Greco-Roman philosophers is that they really do explore what human experience looks like. The Judeo-Christian tradition explores where that human experience can go through divine friendship with God. So they are connected, but not identical realities. Christianity can absorb Aristotle's understanding of human friendship. Aristotle might choke on Judeo-Christianity. Who knows? But let's go through the three bases for friendship that I think you'll connect with. The first is pleasure. It's really easy to understand. You have friends that you would connect with at a party and you like going out to dinner with. Uh, you have friends that you go to a football game with or you have friends at kids' soccer where you have the shared love of what the game is or what the pleasure is. But really, the, that friendship, if that's all it ever is, is limited by the shared good. And since that good is desired by both friends, then the enjoyment, the relationship of this sort will fade away, break off, when the pleasure ceases to be a pleasure. Um, it's like you knew all these people when your kids were in youth soccer together, then you moved off into different leagues, you have different friends. Um, it doesn't mean that you think ill of them, that's, that's not the point. The point is it only lasted as long as the pleasure lasted. And so, this relationship, according to Aristotle, can be part of a good and healthy relationship, but it can also be part of a vicious relationship. And so friendships built around the drug culture, criminality would be an example of it. So friendships based on pleasure as a general human principle can be a mixed bag. The second kind of friendship is friendships based on utility. And so a friendship, the friendliness that's based on utility is about a friendship like in a workplace where, you know, your workplace buddies, but your families never get together. You really don't have much in common, but the fact that you work together. And 
Then you move on to another place of work or they move on to another place of work and the connection fades. You still have that common experience, but it's not a friendship that you continue to enjoy once the usefulness is gone. And so people in positions of authority really should understand friendships based on utility, right? I mean, we've seen all of this probably in our own workplaces where people use friendships based on utility, not because they're aimed at a common good, but because a friendship becomes useful because it helps you to move ahead, get a promotion above someone else. And so friendships based solely on utility also are kind of a mixed bag. Um, we all have an instinctual fear of simply being used or the kind of friendship where the friends are using each other. It doesn't make friendship based on utility inherently or intrinsically bad because working together side by side, it can be a great sense of connection and community gets built there. It's when that kind of useful friendship quits focusing on the common good of the task to be, um, to be accomplished and simply turns to how can I use all of these people for my own personal benefit. So pleasure, utility is basis for friendships. There's some good parts about it. There's some that are not so good. It's why when we talk about friendships based simply on this, um, they become, um, they become unsatisfactory to us. It's at the heart of what the hookup culture is. People become useful or they become an object of pleasure. It's when this part of friendship that can be really very good for us at ba basic levels becomes very toxic because there's something about us as a human being that's not being respected. So think about Aristotle's third category for friendship which is friendship based on character, on virtue, on excellence, and, and the good. So for Plato, I always envision Plato and Aristotle having these kinds of friendships where everybody likes arguing over philosophical topics with the idea that you could arrive at the true nature of the good, appreciate where beauty goes, you know, the great philosophical questions. Um, and the truth of the matter is those are wonderfully satisfying um, friendships. And they could also be useful friendships in the best sense. It could be deeply pleasurable. So it's not like you move from a pleasure-based friendship to a utility-based friendship to a friendship based on your good character, your virtue, your love of excellence, or the good. It's in the highest forms of friendship pleasure, utility, um, and the common good and your appreciation of the good can all be shared. Uh, but what happens then? And so when you look at friendships based on character or on virtue, you know, that can be kind of shaky ground, can't it? Because uh, you may be a person of excellent character, at least in your own judgment, uh, and other people, not so much so, because some of the great hurts in our lives can be the sense of betrayal, where we thought somebody was something more perfect than they turned out to be. And so the problem when you and I, we Judeo-Christians would call it sin, 
The problem of basing friendship on character and virtue and excellence and the good is that all of us, starting with yours truly, only participate in these things in a hit-and-miss kind of way. It could be with prayer and faithful practice that you get to be very good at being a friend, but you still have to face the possibility that people will betray you, people will fail you. And what I'd ask you to think of is Jesus and the people that I talked about in John chapter 15 who we called friends. Because in Holy Week, they all failed him. It's the problem of friendship, isn't it? That whether it's pleasurable or useful or uh, even uh, where you have friends that you have so much respect for, that, gosh, it's like building your hopes on what can be a pretty shaky foundation. And so what Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine do with friendship is they start talking about friendship with God and how it is that friendship with God is the most secure basis for friendship and makes us much more secure friends to all these kinds of friendships that are described by Aristotle. And so let's think about it like this, nature and grace. What Aristotle is talking about is human relationships, nature. You don't have to believe anything to be a good friend. You can be pleasurable, useful, and you can have good character. But the friendship based on grace is about this shared pleasure, which is the good of God. And so how this came was developed in our Catholic tradition, where Deuteronomy and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount collides with people in the Greco-Roman world and these understandings, these pagan understandings of natural friendship. There's two aspects of it. Not, this is not a complete treatise on friendship, but there's two uh, thinkers about friendship that we ought, to, we ought to pay attention to. So the first is St. John Chrysostom from the fourth century. And he's talking about uh, the Gospel of John and he wrote, if we desire to know what is going on in the palace, what the emperor has said, what he has done, what he has counseled concerning his subjects, though often these things have nothing to do with us, much more is it desirable to hear what God has said. See, John Chrysostom is saying God is like listening in on a conversation with Jesus, and you get what's going on in the palace. And so we've been called up to this very high place where we understand what's going on. And then John continues. And then he said, especially when it all concerns us, our well-being, the Sermon on the Mount. And all of this is, John the Evangelist will openly tell us, is being a friend of the emperor himself. When we hear, when we are tuned in, we become a friend of God. Or rather, as having him speaking within him and from him, hearing all things which he heard from his father, Jesus has heard all these from the fathers. He's cluing us in on the conversation. And then he says, and this is that quote from John 15. I have called you friends, he says, for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So if you think about it, friendship starts at the top. And we know what that sounds like because we're part of the conversation because Jesus lets us in on it. He compares it to um, patronage, that God is our patron, 
And patronage was huge in ancient Rome. It's how you built political alliances. And so the emperor would have a patron, then the pat his sub-patron would have other patrons, and then they'd have other patrons. And so here's how John Chrysostom would describe it. The emperor, God is our patron, now we're called to have other patrons. He wants us to take care of the people he loves because it would be a sign that we're truly his friends. That he's not, we're just not using him. And so he talks about care for the poor, inviting the poor to meals, uh, giving without asking. Does this sound familiar? It sounds like what the Sermon on the Mount is. But John is connecting what Jesus is saying with the experience of living in the Roman Empire. So modern ideas of friendship don't really think like that. But that the idea is the shared good described in friendship is this love of the poor from John Chrysostom's perspective. It's how we truly become friends of God. St. Augustine, who lived, he's roughly a contemporary of John Chrysostom, thinks about it differently. He thinks about it in the terms of call and response. Do you remember what Deuteronomy says? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And how Jesus talks, out, talks about the gospel. He goes, hear to those who hear, because hearing is this part, you're in this conversation, is what John Chrysostom and Augustine are saying. And so Augustine's confession relates how this insight into learning from God what God wants um, helps you to forsake lesser friendships for this greater friendship, which in turn lifts up all friendships that you experience. So he tells the story in the confessions of these two imperial officials who forsake the world and become friends of God. He's actually talking about himself and a friend. These two stumbled upon a biography of St. Anthony, a great monastic figure, and he started to read it aloud. Suddenly the man who was doing the reading was filled with the love of holiness and angry at himself with righteous shame for his failures. He looked at his friend and said to him, tell me, please, what is the goal of our ambition and all these laborers of ours? What are we aiming at? What is our motive in being in the public service? Have we any higher hope at court than to be friends of the emperor? And at that level is not everything uncertain from full of perils. How many perils must we meet on the way to this greater peril? And how long before we are there? But if I should choose to be a friend of God, I can become one now. You're right past the emperor, right to the top. This shared good, learning to love what God loves. And so why is it helpful to think about how it is the ancients thought about friendship? That it's not about pleasure or utility. It's not even about character. It's learning to love what God loves. And then it lifts up all these other forms of friendship. And so at the end, um, it goes back to John's gospel, the understanding of uh, being the divine a bridegroom, and John the Baptist, who you remember is the Fred of the bridegroom, who hears his voice. And that's, of course, from the Gospel of John. And here's how Augustine commented on hearing the bridegroom's voice, referring to John the Baptist. He who sold humbled himself that he said that he was unworthy to loosen the straps of his Lord's sandal. John the Baptist, in the glory of his master and therefore of his friend, said, when he was being mistaken for the Christ, from which he could have become proud and exalted himself, 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom stands and listens to him, and he rejoices with joy to hear the bridegroom's voice. That's in Augustine's comment on Psalm 50. So this understanding of natural friendship, how the early Christians saw natural friendship as the way to begin to understand divine friendship tells us that one, to be a friend of God, we have to hear his voice. And two, we have to learn to love what God loves. That's what we're going to talk about in the gospel today. So the bridegroom is speaking today. And you remember, it builds on the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount from last week where Jesus pronounced blessings and woes. That, For instance, blessed you are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Woe to you are filled now, for you will be hungry. This relationships of blessings and woes, as this, this, what we're talking about today, is also part of the Sermon on the Mount. Consider it the footnotes, the detail, filling out um, what, this, what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Because to put it just in the simplest terms, the Sermon on the Mount says, I've come to invite you to this beautiful banquet. Woe to you if you're just eating junk, junk food now. You just won't have any room for it. Blessed are you if you're waiting and you're hungry now because something great is coming and you can start to be filled now because living this kingdom of God begins now. It fills us now. It lifts up our friendships now. And so as I begin this podcast, I said the reading for today begins, to you who hear, I say. So think of St. Augustine listening to the bridegroom's voice. Think about St. John Chrysostom saying, you've been invited to, uh, to eavesdrop on this conversation between the emperor and his son. And so use it to your advantage. And so let's go through the Sermon on the Mount and think about it in terms of, of great, um, great advice on being a friend. To you who hear I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. The idea that people who are so twisted away from you now, you don't write them off because you may yet win their friendship. But if you already have enough friends, okay, then you're putting some limits on yourself at the heart of it is our tendency to judge other people's, what Jesus will talk about, where we kind of dangle them out there at arm's length and we kind of evaluate them psychologically. At the heart of it is the failure of natural friendship. Nobody is the perfect friend except Jesus. But you want to learn how to lift up that friendship with this person that you think of as your enemy? Change how you think about friend and enemy and start thinking about it as as Christ talks, talks to us how to think about it. Don't hold grudges. And that's the second part where he says, to persons who strike you on one cheek, offer the other one as well, and this, offer the other cheek as well. So this is about your enemies. And what love of, love of enemies isn't that suddenly you have this overfolding of affection for them, um, this great desire to be in their company all the time. That's not it. Love of enemies is, according to Jesus, don't return tit for tat. Don't pour gas on the fire. And then 
This is apropos of St. John Chrysostom, where he says, you have heard this conversation between the emperor and his son. Look at who they love. And so here's what Jesus says. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinner love those, sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. So now think about it in terms of love of enemies. He's not talking about affections. He's talking about agapeo, that love that St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not generous or boastful. Don't do tit for tat. Don't pour gas in the fire. Be generous with people, especially the people that God loves, the poor. And then he concludes in this small part of the reading today, but rather love your enemies and do good to them and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This shared good of mercy for others. If everything is a calculation, will I get this back? It really will poison all your relationships. You can do what you can do. You can't solve other people's problems, but you can help them over a bump. And it may not be what they want, but it's what you can do, what you can give generously, knowing that it won't probably be coming back. But there are no strings attached. People hate friendships that have strings. So think about what's at the heart of this part of the reading. Be generous with others, spiritually, in, in every way that you can be generous, and be attentive to others. Listen to the pain. Don't respond to their own anger. And then Jesus concludes, Stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and gifts will be given to you. Good measure, packed together, shaken down and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you measure will, be retur will re return, be measured out to you. See other people as damaged just like you are damaged. You can only hope for what you can hope for from someone who struggles just like you. And so the idea that we're going to solve everybody's problems, probably not a realistic idea. But friendship extends beyond simply what is practical or useful or pleasurable or makes me feel good about myself. It's really an expression of your own generosity and attentiveness to another person. Why does God allow moral evil? Why does he allow all of this stuff to go on? God is very generous. God doesn't make us worse. He doesn't pour gas on the fire. God gives us a chance to work things out. This is how God loves the wicked and the good. And so how do we learn to love like God and share this good? Well, we learn to listen to the bridegroom's voice and we learn how to grow in generosity. And then, like God, we can learn to be truly friends. You know, hell is a place where there's nothing but justice. Heaven is a place where there's plenty of mercy. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, won't you be my neighbor? You know, this appeals to kids because there's something so good and generous and beautiful in it. It still speaks to our hearts. But if you allow cynicism and betrayal and fear that friendship is overrated, wow, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven like a child. You'll just enter it like a bitter, angry adult. Learn to be attentive to others. 
learn to be generous. This has been Oro Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold.